This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Let Alliance and Trust help you plan for what's next. To learn more and get your free copy of Alliance and Trust's book on financial stewardship, Wisdom Before Wealth, visit friendofbrice.com or call 805-371-8020. Just so you know, Garrett uh, filled the baptismal with Celsius. So, uh, to all of our congregants online, and I, I mean that with all my heart. I mean they don't get a chance. You know, watching service online is like watching a fireplace. You can you can hear it and see it, but you don't feel the warmth. Um, and as best we can through the internet, we love you. We're, we're we look forward to meeting you in person. And I have to tell you, uh, this is a statistic from Tony our administrative pastor, he said 30% of, of the offering for this fellowship comes from people out of state online. And so we want to say thank you. <clears throat> All right, um, we are, we're going to take a look at um, a pretty cool lady in scripture. I, uh, this is one of my favorite characters of the Easter story. So if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, these folks walking down the aisles holding these books. These books are Bibles, and they'd love to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that. You skipped him over here. He was like begging. <laughs> so it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. We're in John chapter 20. We're going to take a look at a portion of the Easter story uh, with a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. It's purported as early as the fifth, actually the end of the fourth century, uh, early church fathers said that she was the anonymous prostitute that anointed Jesus's head with oil, oil spark, uh, spikenard. Um, and, and the house was filled with the, the fragrance. Of, and, and that oil in a very costly alabaster jar was the the tool of the trade for a prostitute because you didn't have deodorant and the like. And so the, the oil of fragrance would draw a man in. Um, fragrance, the olfactory sense, is the number one sense for memory recollection. And that's why women understand the power of perfume. Um, and, and, and so this was the tool of her trade. And a very costly alabaster jar of oil of spikenard was worth a year's wages. Um, it would be a denarii, which is a year's wages. And she just poured that over the head of Jesus to anoint him for his burial. And, and many believe it was, even the early church fathers, as early as the fourth century, we have documentation that it was Mary uh, of Magdala. Magdala is a city that actually uh, tomorrow, Michelle and I leave with a number of you to go to Israel. We'll, we'll go to Magdala where they have found one of the earliest synagogues and this is where Mary resided. Jesus spent time there. Uh, it's been excavated and found by a Catholic priest, and it's, a, 
it's one of those A sites. They have A, B, and C. A is definitive that Jesus was there. B is it's, it's purported, and C is there's, you roll the dice, you know. But this is, this is an A site. Mary, Mary of Magdala, that's where she gets her name, Mary Magdalene. And she is a remarkable woman. And we're going to take a look at her account of Easter through the eyes of a woman whose life had been ravaged. And now she's restored. And she, she's grateful. She's one of the very first to the tomb. And the passage will begin in verse 11. So if you'd stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Verse 11 of John chapter 20. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, Jesus, the gardener, you can't make it up. I mean, seriously. And before you think I'm being crass and racist, it's probably one of the most profound sentences in the scriptures. Stay with me. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She was willing to do what no man was willing to do, put her life on the line and be associated with him at the cost of her own life. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of this precious saint. She is canonized in all the Orthodox religions and yet God, here is a woman who had been redeemed from, as the early church fathers declared, prostitution. One who the scriptures declare had seven demons cast out of her. Oh, how one must have been ravished and abused to house the demonic presence of seven demons. What footholds have been established in the abuse of her mind and to see that she's been transformed by the renewing of her mind. Lord, I pray that as we take a look at this precious saint's life that you would minister to each and every person present, especially those who don't know you and they've been disconnected from you that they would be able to declare, as the Lord said, that he is our Father and our God. And that, as Mary said, when she looked at you, Lord, she called you Lord. May all who are present in the hearing of my voice today 
come to realize and declare that you are Lord. Not just of all heaven and earth, but of our lives. And so I pray that you would do what no man can do. Save us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. I, I don't want everyone's remedy. I don't need you to send me stuff. I, I don't, I'm only saying this to let you know why I won't be doing the baptisms. Uh, I've got 10 days in Israel that I'll be hiking around. I blew out my back. I'm just now at a place where I'm standing and I'm happy and I'm going to be able to make the flight. If I baptize, I think there's going to be a ton of you. There's 20 last night. I think we're going to have a bunch. Amen. Clap because get them excited. I'll be with you on the side. I'll pray with you. Rick's going to dunk you. He's way gentler than I am. He's real sweet that way. I'm kind of abusive. I make you stay down there until you really want to serve the Lord. <laughs> I have been impressed this Holy Week from Palm Sunday, Good Friday to now Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday with the theme of a gardener. And as I said, when I made light of the statement, she thought him to be the gardener, Jesus. The reality is it's probably one of the most profound sentences in the resurrection story. You see, we've been spending time looking at gardens. I was moved by the movie, or it was a documentary called The Gardener about Frank Cabot and his gardens that are probably the finest in North America, if not the world itself, on a 20-acre piece of property in Canada. I showed you pictures, you'll see some more. But the significance of what it means to be a gardener, and when we look at the Garden of Eden, that is translated in every culture that uses the word paradise, that word is always translated a walled garden in every culture and language. In Genesis, we see that God was a gardener. He was a good gardener. The Lord God planted a garden. He's a gardener. Eastward in Eden, remember the word eastward because we have to see the location, eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to, listen, tend and keep it. The two Hebrew words are aved and samar, tend and keep, tend and keep, keep it from the presence of evil. Keep watch over it. Maintain the order and the beauty. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. We have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both existing in this garden. This wasn't just a garden. It was a temple. Why was it a temple? Because God dwelt there. Where God dwells is a temple. It was, it was a temple garden. It was resplendent and beautiful. God communed with man. Man communed with God. They were naked and unashamed. They dwelt together in a complete understanding of who they are and what they were to do. They had fellowship with God and they saw him face to face and walked with him in the ruach, the cool of the garden. It was a beautiful place. There was no death, no dying, no destruction. It was ordered and kept, yet it maintained its beauty, this garden. It was Tertullian who said, 
if I have a garden, I have everything I need. The idea of a place where man can commune with nature, which is God presenting himself through his creation. The beauty of cultivated grounds are significant to man. Can we switch to the next slide? There we go. Now, the Garden of Eden, as we would see, but we don't have time to read it because we have baptisms to do, it describes in Genesis where it's located. Let's go to the next slide. It, it's located right around where that star is because we know where the four rivers exist. We know that it's east of, you know, the, the garden is, is entered by the east. We, we know that it's in this region. And so there it is, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a paradise in which Adam and Eve were placed immediately after their creation, a place of bliss, a region of supreme felicity and delight. Heaven, the blissful seat of sanctified souls after death. In Persia, it's called a pleasurable garden with parks and other appendages. This was that man that we studied on Friday, Mr. Cabot. He is the one who designed this amazing garden, and he was an amateur, but he just saw these things that would take people into a surreal and beautiful place where all the senses would be affected. And it's interesting because God said that he planted those that were pleasant to the sight and good to eat, so all of the senses of the human body were employed. And that's what a garden does. It takes you to another place. You can travel to different countries as he's built a, a tea room, and he's, he's, he's built this descending water feature. And there it is, Genesis 2.8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The entrance to Eden was from the east. It's interesting because that's the same direction that you enter the temple that was built by Solomon, Herod. You would enter that from the east. Fascinatingly enough, the temple was a place where God dwelt, just as he dwelt in the garden. There you would commune with God, but in the temple, only one man, one time a year, would enter into the presence of God. He would have to wear a rope around his ankle and bells on the fringes of his robe so that they could hear them clanging as he walked into the presence of the Lord. And if he was not right before God, he would collapse and they would have to drag him out from the rope that was tied around his neck. You see, you don't trifle if you go in haphazardly and you think that God is to adjust to your standards, and you forget his, you will be a casualty. And man became a casualty. God gave a command of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. Eating it, dying, you will surely die. Present and progressive. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in disobedience to the Lord and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man was cast out of the presence of God. And now this garden was no longer ours. 
sin had entered. God wanted to restore man. He gave Adam and Eve hope. He spoke of the prophecy that you would, he would bruise your heel, but you would crush his head. That from Eve would come the father of the living. And so ever since, we've been trying to get back to the garden. Some of us don't want anything to do with the garden. We don't want God. We just want to take advantage of his creation and think somehow we've designed it or it just happened by chance. And I feel sorry for you. I really do. It takes so much faith to be an atheist. You really do have to shelve your brain. You live in a world of matter and then you steal from our worldview by speaking of love. How can you have metaphysical ideas in a world simply of matter? What is it that moves you? You must be so depressed. You don't get to call it love. You don't get to call it truth. You don't get to call it joy. You're just matter. You're material. What a sad existence. You think heaven is somehow a hybrid between man and machine. That's hell on earth. The World Economic Forum and Yuval Hatari and all those that want to mess with the DNA of man, you think that's novel. It isn't. It's destructive and tragic. Why is that? Because man wants to be God. We want to think somehow we're in charge of life. You don't create life from a closed system. Our entire food industry is built on that idea. You open up a jar of peanut butter, you don't want to find mold in it. Life cannot enter that jar of peanut butter unless it's introduced meaning there's, it's perforated or it wasn't sealed properly and then life gets in and then mold presents itself. But in a closed system, life doesn't just happen. It, nobody here knows how to make life. You can mess with the DNA of life that God's already created. You can, you can mess with it, but you, you can't create out of nothing as God did in the garden. And he's placed you there to cultivate, to keep and to tend and to Keep it from evil. But you don't believe in evil. You don't believe in good because you're meta, you're, you don't believe in metaphysical ideas. You're simply matter in an atheistic world. You don't get to look at a sunset and have your heart moved. You're just matter. What kind of drawings and paintings would move you? You're just matter. You're just cosmic dust. You haven't been created in the image of God. You don't have a hope or a future. There's no point in, in the design of the family which has sustained mankind and culture for millenniums. You just know how to deconstruct. You know how to tear it apart. You find a loose thread on a sweater and you just tear the sweater apart. Look how creative you are. You just make a mess everywhere you go. You don't create gardens, you destroy them. That's what man does when he's in control. He takes, he takes creation and he makes bombs that blow people up and devastate landscapes and threaten mankind. He messes with science, injects our children, infuses these problematic spike proteins, killing our little ones and our elderly. We call that progress. That's not progress, that's destruction. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is good and there is evil, there is truth. Truth. There is right, there is wrong. But as an atheist, this great leap of faith that you've employed because you are so dead set 
on not submitting to a God who has given everything to be reconciled to you and invite you back into his presence, that he has even created an empty tomb in all of history has declared it from the foundation of time. He has sought to reconcile you and bring you back. Even the word religion, you say, I don't like religion. You don't even know what the word means. It means to reconnect. It's, it's relongari in the Latin. It means to reconnect with the one who created you. Well, I'm a self-made man. No, you are not. What part of yourself did you make? You didn't make any part of yourself. God is calling you to be reconciled to him, but it's your sin that separates. What is sin? Sin is operating by your own rules instead of his because he's the one who has designed it, created it, and established it, and, and he set the rules, and the rules aren't capricious. The rules are to keep us living and fruitful and blessed. And yet we destroyed that relationship with him. God sought to reconcile man, so he created a temple where he would dwell. This temple that you read in Leviticus and other aspects of the scripture designs the lampstand and points out that you enter into the temple from the east as you would in Eden. There in the court of the Gentiles would be the land of Eden, the garden itself. You go into the garden in the midst of it, which is the holy of holies. There you would find the lampstand and the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both existing there. And God dwells between the cherubim in the Shekinah glory in the mercy seat, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. That man could commune once again with God, but it would be one man one day a year. It'd be representative, but it'd be the way back. It's symbolic, speaking to man, that the time would come when you will be reconciled and have a way back. How would that be accomplished? What Adam and Eve failed to do and the Israelites failed to do, Jesus accomplished. Jesus accomplished when he bled and died and gave up his spirit. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. And as he said to the thief, as we covered on Friday, today you will be with me in paradise, back in Eden you will return. If a man has committed a sin deserving death, he must be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, and the body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you, an inheritance, for he is hanged, is accursed of God. And as Galatians says, as Paul writes, for as many are the works of the law under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We failed to keep the law. We could not enter into the presence of God. We couldn't commune with him in, in this temple, this garden, this paradise, because our sin is what the angels keep us from, that we cannot enter into God's presence because sin isn't permitted. How do we get back in? Somebody has to pay the penalty for the curse that is upon us, the sin that we have engaged, the evil that we have participated in. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is missing the mark. There's none righteous, no, not one. It, it just simply says no one in this room is perfect. And you say, well, no, I'm not perfect, but why would that cast me out from heaven? You don't understand sin. You don't understand the cosmic treason behind your actions. That God has created you 
to be fruitful and multiply and to bring glory to his name, and yet that's the last person you give the time of day to and you say he's your co-pilot. What a stupid statement. God needs to fly your plane. God is the one who keeps you living. He wants you back. He wants to reconcile with you. But your sin separates you from him. But there was one who paid the price. We saw that on Friday. Jesus died that you and I might live. He paid the penalty for our sins. He was crucified. Then he was buried. And on the third day, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, Jesus rose from the grave. He overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And as he said to the thief on the cross, when he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, verse 43 at the bottom, Jesus said to him, as surely I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus kept some pretty funky companions on the earth. His last companion was a brigand, not just a robber, but a robber who would murder you. A robber who understood the things he did. He was even guilty in the, in the courts of Rome. He knew he got what he deserved. He never did one thing of, of good. He didn't get off the cross and get baptized. He wasn't saved by his works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This thief knows that. Just a short, a short few minutes before his testimony to Christ, he was blaspheming the Lord. He was mocking him with the other thief. But he saw in himself a sinful man and he saw next to him a righteous savior. And there with the last breast remaining in his body is the last companion of, of Jesus. He declared to him, remember me. He says, today, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You will be in this garden. You will once again commune with God. He will be your God. He will be your father and you will be his son and you'll be my brother. How marvelous. How marvelous. Resurrection from the grave. The first companion that Jesus speaks with is a woman who had been demonically possessed, not by one, not by two, yet but by seven. One that history holds her life, the garden of her purity had been abused, ravaged. You speak of a woman's purity. Song of Solomon is the one who took us in this direction. He said, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices your lips, O oh, my spouse. Drip as the honeycomb, honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchid, or an orchard, excuse me, of pomegranates, which is, by the way, the depiction with the lampstand and the design, it was a picture, a microcosmic picture, a representation of the Garden of Eden, that God would once again dwell with man. And here you see a woman whose garden had been destroyed, whose reputation all men knew. There was no purity in this woman. Those demons had occupied and destroyed her mind. Her body was abused. And yet, as the Lord bled and died, he had Mary on his heart, as he had you on his. 
Mary. The first woman who would realize in the depths of her sin that there's a man who sees me for who I am to become, not for who I am. I see in him a hope that I can forget what is behind and strive for what is ahead. I can become new, renewed, born again. I can have a life. I won't live in shame. I won't be abused. My purity will be restored. It was this woman who watched him die in love and gratitude for the restoration of her life. She's the first at the tomb, weeping and sees the angels. She turns and sees this man. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. She wept, stooped down, looked in the tomb, saw the two angels sitting at one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Luke says that his clothes were folded and I just want all the kids to know that. (laughs) Make your bed. Verse 14, now when Mary had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener. He is the gardener. He's always been the gardener. And we are his garden. Resplendent and beautiful, each created with unique design. The DNA when you were born is unlike any that will ever walk the face of the earth. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb, He's appointed you a prophet to the nations, as he said to Jeremiah. To you and me, he's got a calling upon our lives. He seeks to occupy residence upon the throne of our heart that he would live through us. It's a fascinating understanding of what God seeks to do in the life of man. You see, the garden is where God dwells. And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, one word. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Had he said, come forth, every dead person would have risen. He speaks your name. He brings you life. He speaks your name and he brings you resurrection. He brings you hope. He brings you forgiveness. His name is unlike any name for there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Your name is upon his lips. He's calling you today by name as he spoke to her and said, Mary. I remember the day he said, Rob. She turned and said to him, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father. You see, Father is personal. It's communing. It's family. He said, to my God and your God. 
this woman who was once the gossip of the city was now a saint in the church. What does that mean to us today on this, our Resurrection Sunday? Where we recognize once again, 2,000 plus years after the event itself, in the spring, as it says, that gardens bloom and life sprouts. What is God saying to you as he speaks your name? He says to you today that I want to restore my communion with you. I want to build a temple where the two of us may dwell. How does he do that? Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, where Adam and Eve failed and Israel failed, Christ succeeded. He has made us his temple, his garden of the Holy Spirit. As we put on Christ and live for him, our aim is to make earth Eden. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, now you have a reason to live. Now you have purpose. Maybe it's one that you reject. So be it, I can't convince you. Your mind is made up. But what a cosmic failure you have achieved. A God who moved heaven and earth, tore the veil from the top to the bottom to declare that nothing separates you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. But simply the confession of your mouth as the thief did on the cross. He couldn't move his arms. The only thing he could do was move his lips. He said, remember me. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And what is the water behind me? It's the grave. It's no longer something to fear for those who have trusted Christ. If you're born twice, you only die once. And you don't even die. You fall asleep and awaken in the image of God. But if you're born once, you die twice, and that second death is the one to be feared. Separation from God for all eternity. There's no Garden of Eden waiting for you. Yours is destruction and chaos. And I wouldn't wish that on even my worst enemy. And to get there, you have to step over the battleship, the cross of Christ, and say, I should say, and sing the theme song of heaven, or excuse me, and sing the theme song of hell. I did it my way. Christ has redeemed you if you call upon his name. You will be saved. The water represents the grave. It's a public profession of faith. You're declaring as Mary did without shame, without fear. I am a follower of Christ and I love him. I don't care what man would do to me. The fear of man is a snare. I want the world to know that I am a disciple, a follower of Jesus. For he has redeemed me, reconciled me, and he lives in me as a temple where he dwells in the midst of my heart. You go down into the grave in the misery of your sin as Mary did and you come up and as your sins were as scarlet, they'd be washed as white as snow. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all 
all. And the word all in the Greek means all unrighteousness. And you arise a new creature in Christ, forgetting what is behind and striving for what is ahead. You now have communion with the living God. And you are his child and he is your father. And life is yours and abundance awaits. Come unto me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This awaits you. This is your resurrection Sunday. This is your Garden of Eden. This is your hope. I close with this. Some of you didn't come today prepared to be baptized. That's okay. One of my favorite pictures are people who come and they, they get baptized in their wonderful Easter clothes. They came to look good in front of everyone else, but they realized in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing and I must be reconciled to God as he awaits me. I want to be saved. And you come with joy as Mary did. And you hear him calling your name. He bids you to come. And for those of you who've been baptized and you know the joy of it, pray for these folks. This is the most spectacular day. The Bible says it. When one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. And I would encourage all of you to do the same. Every time someone's baptized, let them know. Join the angels. Rejoice with them. May this be a place of joy today. And for those online, maybe we don't have the privilege to baptize you, but if I'm in your state or your city, let me know. I'll come and do it. We'll find a bathtub or something. But rejoice even online. All right. Let me pray. Micah will plug in. He's going to play some music, and then Pastor Rick is going to do the baptizing. Lord, thank you for this day. This day where, as Mary thought you to be the gardener, you actually are. You are the one who guards and keeps our soul. You've delivered us from death unto life. We come today to honor you, to declare to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are associating ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We are making a public, public profession of faith that we are not ashamed of our Savior. Lord, give each and every person in this room who is yet to be baptized, for the Lord declares it a commandment, repent and be baptized. For those who have yet to do it, Lord, give them the courage and the strength to not be ashamed for the fear of man is a snare, but let them honor you this day. And I pray your blessing upon all who would come to the waters. May this be a day they would never forget as long as they live on this earth. And in eternity they would rejoice. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of The Bryce Eddy Show. Hey, we need your help. We have a special call to action. Please subscribe to our new Rumble channel, The Bryce Eddy Show. If you've been consuming this on our church website or church channel, go ahead and subscribe to us on Rumble. We need to build those numbers there for that new dedicated channel. For your convenience, we have a link in the description below.